0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in.
1: Welcome to another episode of Same Old Song. S.O.S., S.O.S., (laughs) that might be what you're thinking as you're preparing your sermon— well, sit back, <laughs> relax, and listen to what we have to say. So we'll uh, guide you through the text and uh, hopefully inspire a sermon and uh, most importantly, warm the heart. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith and I'm joined with my friend Aaron Zimmerman and welcome to the show.
0: What up, Jake?
1: Aaron, how are you? How is your fasting and
0: um, <laughs> everything like that? Are you feeling Good. Well, I've I, it's uh, it's I've got M and M's in my mouth. I can still taste them. So does that count? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. Somebody uh, a friend of mine called me recently. He was gonna have a lunch meeting with somebody, and he's like, "But you know, I'm fasting. But what should I do?" And I said, "Well, you can't tell him you're fasting because then you get nothing." Yeah. The Lord says when you fast, you got to keep it secret. So all you people out there that are suffering by what you've given up for Lent. Don't tell anyone, mm. otherwise you get a zero on the exam. you got to keep it to yourself and look happy. You can't be angry or grumpy with anybody.
1: Mm. Well, here we are, and uh, this is uh, the second Sunday of Lent, and really one of the overarching themes that you'll find flowing through these readings is um, uh, God's promise in, in in God's time, you know? And yeah. uh, oftentimes some of the things that lead us astray uh, most acutely are the times when we uh, lose patience with God and uh, uh, we want to take things into our own hand. And really that's the theme of the collect for this Sunday. Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways. That's me and uh, you. And uh, bring them again hey, with penitent for yourself, hearts and Jake. steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truths of your word. And so we see this happening uh, in our opening reading from Genesis. Abraham um, has heard God's promise that he will be uh, the father of many nations, but it has not happened yet. And uh, this is awfully frustrating. And uh, Abraham suggests to God that maybe he should take things into his own hands.
0: Yeah, so we've had this promise in Genesis 12 that God has said, I will, you know, I will make your offspring more numerous than the cars in the parking lot at the Mall of America on Black Friday. Uh, You will not be able to count them. There's so many. And just three short chapters later, we find Abram telling God, you know, I'm childless. You haven't held up your end of the bargain. And by the way, I doubt you so much that I've had to go to a plan B. He says, the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So I've got a backup plan in case you don't follow through, God. And then he he just adds a little, you know, another twist uh, and to kind of complain a little bit here. You've given me no offspring, so a slave in my house is going to be my heir. He's sort of like huffing and puffing. He's angry at God. uh, But no, God says, look... And this if if I were God God, God literally is, says what you talking about Willis? What you talking about Willis? <laughs> this is where I would walk away if I'm the Lord. Mm, like, yeah. no, I wanted so- I wanted somebody who trusts me. I wanted loyalty. And Abram's <laughs> not showing me loyalty. And so he says, "Nope. Uh don't worry. And th- this this man shall not be your heir, no one but your very own issue shall be your heir." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a, that's a long phrase that basically is I forgive you. Now come outside with me, Abram. And look up and count the stars, and if you, yeah. you can't, and this is going to be your descendant. It's this beautiful picture uh, of grace.
1: I, yeah, it's so good, and I love how um, God, like, takes Abraham out and doesn't give him, like, instructions on the way he can improve his faithfulness. He takes him out, and he reminds him of the promise, You know what I mean? He says, let me remind you once again what I'm going to do, you know, and uh, this is a this is a very powerful thing. And even in our own lives, when we find ourselves doubting and uh, find ourselves wondering, is this true? God, by his grace, reassures us of his promise to us, you know, that you are his child and that you are his. Um, This is this is this is the gift. And this is how our God acts. He acts by reminding us of his promise.
0: Yeah, and I guarantee you, preachers, that there are folks in your congregation that they're hanging on by a thread in terms of their Mm -hmm. faith and their belief. they're, They're filled with doubt, and they sort of feel guilty for their doubt, and they don't know that they can talk to anyone about their doubt. That's one of the reasons, when you talk to sociologists of religion, one of the many reasons people leave church. A lot of folks, because they feel like it's not a safe place to talk about their doubt. Here you have Abram not only doubting God, he's got a plan B. Uh, that he's put into effect. He's had a lawyer draft a will that says it, if God doesn't come through, Ezer will be the heir, uh, and uh, and it's gotten notarized and he's filed it with whoever, and and so he's done all this stuff. He's he's like codified in a legal document his doubt,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and God doesn't give up on him. He's like, let me show you take it's sort of like a Jesus with doubting Thomas kind of moment um yeah. come look at the stars and then it says he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned to him it to him as righteousness and that means God imputes righteousness to Abram that's not his own all that Abram has at this point is sin and doubt yeah it's such a clear juxtaposition of uh, God's grace and our sin Abram. Is not, he's won no points. He's not passed the test. He's not gotten a gold star on the exam. He has just completely failed it. And yet, God reckons righteousness to him and then reminds him Remember when I brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans? Mm-hmm. Remember when you, as you know, to quote them, Princess Baid, you were unemployed in Greenland? <laughs> That's sort of what. Uh, what God is reminding Abraham. Yeah. So, it kind of tying on to the, you know, the wandering Aramean as our ancestor from last week, these Lenten readings remind us of who we are and where we're from, and we're not from a good place, we're not from a good family. Uh, God has saved us, uh, not ourselves. That's
1: right. And then Abraham asks, but how, O Lord God, am I to know that I shall possess it? This is probably like one of the most mystical scenes in the entire Bible. It's amazing. And um, I love it. Uh, for all you Episcopalians into mysticism, this is very mystical right here. And uh, if you preach it right, uh, you'll give a lot of folks some hope. And so, but. Uh, um, it, basically this is a suzerain covenant and so this is what would happen amongst near eastern kings um, the style of covenant basically an animal would be cut in half by the greater king and uh, the lesser king the vassar king would walk through that animal and uh, what is being articulated here is is basically in this covenant um if you break the promise uh to me what happens to this animal happens to the lesser king and I will uh, cut you in half I mean it's serious those days this is what I like want to remind everybody like uh God is not your homeboy uh Yahweh is a Near Eastern suzerain king I mean he's like so when yeah he, this is he like issues, kill Bill. When you issue zoo an invitation it's not like a Facebook invitation where you can decide whether you want to come or not? Um, it's come or die, and uh, those are your options. And um, and so, but this is what happens. Except this time, uh, God walks through these animals. I mean, they cut everything. They cut a cow, they cut uh, a ram, turtle doves, a young pigeon. I just <laughs> like the imagery. And a partridge there is amazing. in a pear tree. And then, so, but he cuts them into laying each half over against the other. Um, but he didn't cut the birds into and, uh, but. So, um, and Abraham drives them away, but here's the very powerful thing, is that Abraham falls into a deep, deep sleep. Uh, he doesn't do anything in this covenant. Instead, God walks through uh, this covenant as the darkness descends, uh, showing indeed that um, if um, if any part of the covenant is broken, that it will be God who will... Um, who will reconcile it? And so this foreshadows and drives us ultimately to the cross, uh, where mm-hmm. um, where Jesus, who is the representative of faithless humanity, in all of his faithfulness,
0: uh, stands in our stead. That's right. And I think this again, this is a bloody, uh, powerful picture of Christianity. And so many people think that it is our job to walk through the severed animal carcasses. It's our job to say to the Lord, if we mess up, God. You'll be angry at us and we'll we'll take the punishment. Like that's how a lot of people think of religion, mm-hmm. uh, that God gives out rewards to the good and punishments to the bad. And so um, we should be the one, Abraham should, or in this passage still, Abram hasn't been renamed yet, that he should be the one that walks between the carcasses. He should be the one that promises to follow God. And if he messes up, God, you can strike me down. Um, but as you said, amazingly, God puts Abram asleep. And this to me points out, what we like to talk about sometimes in terms of monergism versus mm-hmm. synergism, yeah. uh, that the synergistic view of of Christianity is where we work together. You know, mm-hmm. Jake does a little bit, and God does a little bit. Aaron does a little bit, and God does, or maybe God does a lot, but I still got to do something. Mm-hmm. What is Abraham's role in this covenant? It's to fall asleep. Yeah, this it's to st- do nothing. Yep, he's completely he just, monergistic. He, yep. Yeah, he rests here, and God is the one who says, "If you, if the covenant gets broken, as you said, Jake, I will undergo the punishment." And of course, we see that happen with Jesus Christ uh, on the cross.
1: Mm. You know, and this is this is the other thing too is that a lot of people, uh, you know, on one side want to like say, you know, the punishment's on you and all all the things you have to do. There's another place too, another another group, another form of thinking where people want to just take the punishment and the blood out of Christianity altogether. And uh, and that's to really neuter this religion too. And really, without uh, the blood and the sacrifice, there's no real way to talk about justice either. You know, and um, and um, and things equality and things being fair. And uh, what, what what? And thank God it's not fair. But uh, really, I mean, the the heart and soul of uh, Christian religion is is sacrifice and atonement mm. that holds everything together.
0: Yeah, and if you guys uh, want to hear more about this, go back and listen to the mocking the Mockingcast podcast episode a few weeks back, um, where RJ and Dave and Sarah talk about the uh, the punk rock group in mm-hmm. Richmond, Virginia, and uh, and Meatless. Uh, meat, sort of vegan meat with blood in it and the Paris Review. So go back and find that if you want to know more about this. But uh, Brene Brown, who's a, a, a researcher, a sociologist in Houston and an Episcopalian, has said when she first went back to church after a long absence, she was worried that it would sort of be, uh, you know, just all like rainbows and unicorns. And, mm-hmm. he, and she said, but when I got there, I realized this was the real deal because when they talked about forgiveness, there was blood on the floor. Uh, and if any, if any of you listeners have been hurt or sinned against, you know, that forgiveness is incredibly costly and, mm. uh, and painful, which is f- sort of physicalized and demonstrated and shown and enacted to us in, in scripturally with, with the, the blood that is shed. And that's the, as, you, as you said, Jake, that's this idea of atonement is mm. central. And if you take the blood out of Christianity, and yeah, it seems barbaric, it seems weird, but there's something very profound in this. Um, uh, it, if you take it out of there, you have just kind of a commandment to try to be nice, uh, which doesn't, as you say, Jake, doesn't deal with the reality of injustice, it doesn't deal with the reality of the suffering in the world, it doesn't, it's just, it's it's just the care bears, and, yeah. uh, and that's not going to get you through the night. Not at all.
1: And uh, this really, um, and it doesn't have anything to say, um, Paul wouldn't have anything to say in Philippians chapter 3, which is our epistle reading uh, for this Sunday, where he's speaking about um, the enemies of the cross and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and their eventual end. And uh, what, what, what kind of sticks out to you about this passage, Aaron?
0: Well, just like we have Abram waiting for something that he hasn't received yet, here we have Paul talking to Christians who are waiting for something that they haven't received yet. Mm-hmm. They have That's enemies. Right. Um, they have persecutors. They have enemies within the church and enemies outside the church. So, mm-hmm. uh, and enemies of the cross of Christ would mean anybody that says to you, you got to save yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, like we've said, there can be people in the church that say you got to save yourself as well as outside. Um and, but they're just focused on the earthly way of doing things, which is in the earthly way is always about you performing, earning, working harder to save yourself, um, optimizing your life, life hacks, and all that sort of stuff. And he says, no, 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 our citizenship is in heaven, but we're waiting. It's a life of expectant waiting. Um, so, this I think can give you hope, can give hope to some of your people, and even to you, dear preacher, because you also are waiting. If you're running a church, you're stressed, you've tried programs, they haven't worked, you're raising money, it's not enough, Uh, you wish you were as holy as your people think you are, or maybe they don't think you're holy at all, but we're all in some sense in the waiting room for what's coming next. And so just there's encouragement in knowing that you're not crazy. Like if you're not doing Christianity perfectly, if you feel like you're stuck in the waiting room, well, welcome to the club. This is where we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're waiting and while we do that, um, we uh, we we turn to Him um, uh, as we as we wait for Him to do what He's going to do.
1: That's right, and this is what's uh, actually credited to us as righteous righteousness. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't see it, um, you can't touch it, you can't taste it. Um, well, maybe at communion you can, but uh, um, the the idea here is that this is um, our the, the but in the uh, the epistle reading. But our citizenship in heaven is a big but. Um, and it's an important one because there is such a tendency sometimes to fall back to the world, uh, to to lose hope and to doubt, especially when things are difficult. And uh, this is just received as a promise and credited to us as righteousness. And uh, And so I think you're absolutely right. This is all about waiting. And sometimes we wait. We've been waiting for a long time. I love that passage in Peter where it says, do not, um, do not consider a God slow, as some count slowness, but he is patient, yeah. waiting for no one to perish. And I always laugh at that because I'm like, slow? I mean, it's yeah. been like 2,000 years. <laughs> like, God is a slow God, and he takes his time. And uh, uh, However, he has given us a promise, and you may be thinking to yourself, is that all there is? Yep, that's all there is, and that's all you get. Um, and, uh, but it is the greatest promise in the world.
0: Yeah, and Jake, you said, you know, it is a big butt, and I, I just, I like big butts, mm-hmm. and I cannot lie. <laughs>
1: I, knew, I, when I, I, I knew when I said that. And, uh, I was waiting. when I said that, and you were going like, to hit it, but I was like, oh. that is too cheesy. Aaron will not do that. It is too Oh, bad. I have no
0: standards. <laughs> I have no, no, uh, you can't embarrass me, Jake. How know. low can I go? <laughs> Test me. Hold my beer. Yeah.
1: So, and then we come, and so, you know, and this this promise is sure, and it's reliable, and it's true, and you see this in uh, our gospel reading when some of the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're like, hey man, get away from here, Herod wants to kill you. And, uh, you know, yeah. Jesus, Jesus knew that he had an appointed time. Jesus knew uh, what he was doing. This is one of the things, you know, when people talk about divine child abuse to the cross, being divine, it's like nonsense. Jesus knew exactly what he had come to do and what he was getting himself into. And uh, Herod, and, or no one else, not even the devil, was going to rush this or um, hurry it or um, do something that would have shocked anybody, um, you know caught God off guard, and he says, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Um, But this is the point, is that uh, God is in control in this whole situation, and uh, you can rest on the promises that are met and fulfilled in the person work of Jesus.
0: Yeah, there's a little uh, humor or irony, I think, too, where Jesus says, you know, it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside Jerusalem. Um, He knows exactly what he's doing, and there's some dark humor in that. He's like, you can't kill me. I got to, everybody knows you kill prophets in Jerusalem, Uh, and this is where he set his face as flint. He's going to Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. It's what what he came to do. What's interesting, he then goes on to say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are seen to it. That's You can see that on a billboard as you drive into Jerusalem. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't yeah. that right, Jake? No. It's in neon. This, it's in neon. <laughs> this is not uh, the slogan that you want. but but And here, I think Jerusalem, it's a real place. You can go there. Uh, but it's also here an image that represents what human beings do when God comes to us uh, with a message of grace because mm-hmm. we so love the law. We so love to do things our own way. We like to be like Abram and take matters into our own hands. We like to be like uh, Paul's enemies uh, where we don't trust in Christ, but we want what we want now. Our God is our belly. You know, we we um, that's who we are. Jesus comes to us and tells us God wants to forgive us and uh, let sinners into the kingdom of heaven. And we say, no, 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 we got to keep the bad people out, and the good people like us got to get in. And so um, uh, this is what Jerusalem is. It's humanity. It's people who kill God's messenger when it's about grace because we'd much rather it be about us. Yeah. And, uh, and yet even so, we fail right up to the very end, but Jesus never fails. He still continues to, mm. to go to Jerusalem. He mm. cannot be deterred. And uh, and what do you you think about um, uh, this thing at the end here, Jake, in verse Um, 3-5? You'll not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. What's he talking about there?
1: Well, this is uh, foreshadowing and moving us towards the triumphal entry. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, right, uh, uh, kind of emphasizing the point that Herod's not in control. Actually, I'm going to ride right into the city of Jerusalem. And I will be hailed as the ki- the son of David, and uh, so this is um, this is a reference to that. Not everything is finished yet, so I'm going to continue to heal. I'm going to continue to cast out demons and cure all signs of the fact that the gospel and the kingdom of God has come into your midst, and um, and. Uh, you know, shame on you, Jerusalem, and uh, you won't will not see me until the time comes when you say, "Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord." Kind of articulating that in a religious sense, um, how fickle we all are. And so, uh, you know, one moment we're going to say, "Blessed are He is He that comes in the name of the Lord," and the next minute we're going to yell, "Crucify Him!"
0: Yeah, and and you're, I think you know we are all going to be preaching to people at this point who have probably failed their. Uh, Lenten discipline, uh, whatever devotional reading they picked up, maybe they made it four or five days and now they've stopped or whatever they gave up. Maybe they've still managed to give it up, but they're thinking about it obsessively. Um, so the, the word here is if you have failed like Abram, if you are impatient, like those Philippian Christians, if you, um, as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, You're part of the people that are going to be the fickle ones who say, blessed is he, but then also crucify. Um, Jesus doesn't give up. He still does what he came to do. And if you have realized in Lent that you're weak, well... Good, because now now you're, you're coming to a place where you can receive mercy.
1: And this is how God is going to work with you. And uh, this is important, preachers, especially for these people in the congregation, is you don't give them things to do. You do what God did with Abraham. You take them mm-hmm. out, and uh, with Abraham, he was shown the stars. With your people, show them the cross, because uh, mm-hmm. that's where God's promise and where he declares us failures uh, totally righteous. And, uh, and so you will take them, and you will show them the promise of God, and you will give away the goods. And that is all of God's mercy, grace, and righteousness to these people, uh, despite themselves.
0: Amen and amen. And uh, so with Sir mix Jake mm-hmm. and I now are signing off, and we wish you uh, a blessed uh, penitential uh, come to Jesus uh, second Sunday of Lent. Bye now. Amen. Peace out. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you doin' today. You know it crucified him, buried him, but 3 days later will the stone got rolled away. Thanks for listening to same old song and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's All will be sad if you don't. we like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.